a lot nervous. If you would uh, join me in turning to uh, Philippians chapter 4. In, uh, Philippians chapter 4, and if you would stand with me as we uh, read, read God's word. Philippians chapter 4. Pastor asked me, I know uh, uh, when Brother Dustin's been up here or when uh, Brother Franklin comes up here, they always say that they're scraping the bottom of the barrel. I think we're outside of the barrel now. So (laughs) we'll see. All right. So Philippians chapter 4, and we'll read uh, verses 4 through 8. If you'd read responsive with me, uh, I'll be on the even verses, you on the odds. All right. Philippians 4, verses 4 through 8. These are the words of God. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Let's pray. Lord and blessed Heavenly Father, thank you again for another great day, Lord. The opportunity to just be in your house, to open up your word, Lord, and see see what you have for us. Lord, this is this is your word, this is your house, Lord, and we just thank you so much for the opportunity that we have, Lord, and I just pray that you hide me behind your cross, Lord, that you speak through me, that it's not me that's speaking, but Lord, it's you. Lord, we just love you, Lord, and if there is anyone that is not here, or that is here, that, it, that does not know you as their personal Savior, Lord, I pray that today is their day of salvation. Lord, thank you for all that you do, in your name, amen. You may be seated. Alright, so, uh, Max in the back, sorry, I might move. You know in teen class I move around and I move around quickly, sorry. So, uh, for those that are online, if you see me off screen, it's because I moved really fast and Max is trying his, his best. He's really good at it. Um, I've been on that, uh, position and it's, it's not easy. But uh, going back to our text, Philippians chapter 4, and really just the, the context of Philippians as we get, uh, get into the message, uh, the key of, uh, of Philippians, uh, as Paul's writing to the church at Philippi that, that God has uh, had him write, is, is joy and unity within the church. Joy and unity within the church. And it's not that joy or unity was lacking in this church. This was a good church. Uh, when Paul was writing, he was not admonishing the church. He was, uh, he was encouraging the church. And, uh, one of the things that he really wanted to hit on was these things called the Judaizers. And these Judaizers were this sect that really said that, yes, you guys are Gentiles, but really to be saved, to really serve the Lord, you have to follow the Jewish customs. You have to do exactly what God says in the law back in the Old Testament. And what Paul's said in several of his letters, that's that's just not the case. But what that really does, and really the focus on that, is it, it creates division, and that creates angst, because you're trying to do what God wants you to do, and you feel like, all right, well, these guys are saying that I'm doing 
doing the wrong thing, but I'm do- I thought I'm doing the right thing. What, what am I doing? What, what, it causes, it causes chaos. All right. And, and what it really does is it starts getting us to focus away from godly things. We start focusing on the worldly things, the acts, these worldly things, these, uh, that isn't what God wants us to focus on. And when we start to forget, uh, we start focusing on the worldly things, we start to forget who God is. We start focusing on ourselves and we stop focusing on who God is. And when we start losing sight of the things that truly matter, that God would have us focusing on, we kind of start to lose control a little bit. Some of you guys may have seen those guys. They're just walking around, and they feel like they're walking around a million miles, not doing anything, but feel like their hair is on fire. I've got to do this. I've got to do this. I've got to do this. Ah, And, and it's, it's chaos. So tonight, what I want to focus and talk about is chaos or calm. Because I'm going to tell you something. God wants us to be calm. He does not want chaos. Our God is not a God of chaos. Our God is a God of order. So uh, as we're talking about chaos or calm, I, I'm going to tell you I have only four points. But within those points, I think I have roughly 24 subpoints. So, uh, Miss Stephanie and, uh, David actually printed out my sermon notes. They, they've actually read this. They know how long it's gonna take. They've already told me they've got the, the education building set up. They've got nap, uh, nap time for there. I, my kid has to go to school tomorrow. She's gonna be tired in the morning. Uh, so, maybe this is the last time Pastor asked me to preach. Um, but, uh, when we start looking at chaos on, and calm, this all comes back into focus, really, and where we could start is who God is and who Satan is. Because we need to know who our God is and who we serve, but we also have to be cognizant of who our adversary is. All right? So, first, we must understand who God is. Number one, God is our creator. And I won with alliteration, so if Brother Dustin is uh, is listening, uh, we got chaos and calm. God is our creator. All right, we're already starting off. Um, so uh, turn with me to Nehemiah chapter uh, 9. We are going to be uh, bouncing around uh, in Scripture, but we're in God's house. This is God's Word. It's a good thing. So Nehemiah chapter number 9 and verse number 6. Nehemiah 9 and verse 6, Thou, even thou, art Lord alone. Thou hast made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all the things that are therein, the seas and all that there is, uh, all that is therein, and thou preservest them all, and the hosts of heaven worship thee. That's who our God is. Our God is the creator of the heavens, of the heaven of heavens, all that is in the earth, all things therein, the seas and all that therein, that's who our God is. He is our creator. And one of the things that I, I absolutely love about this season, because I, I am on my way to work roughly about 7, 6.30, 7 o'clock, depends on how early I'm able to get out of, uh, out of the house, but I drive east. And when you pass the church on Northfield Road east, it opens up. And all you see is those mountains. And let me tell you, God is an excellent painter. Because you see some colors that you don't get to see any other time. 
And then on the flip side, I have to drive west. And I usually leave, and uh, especially when uh, daylight savings time happens, I'm going to leave at about 5 o'clock, and I get to see that sunset. And I get to see those same colors over and over again. And every, sun, every single time that I see those colors, if I haven't already started my prayer, that's immediate. Okay, God, this is you. This is what you have made. How can you just not stop and look at the creation that God has given us? How can you say, mm, by chance, billion D years ago, we'll say billion D because they make up that number all the time, that this world was created out of a whim, just by chance, and this order that we see um, came out of chaos. That's not how this works. That's not how God works. He put this in order. And that is the God that we serve. We have a God that is... Um, if you just look at our creation, you say, okay, wow. But then we start looking at the things that we kind of take for granted. Like time. I am under time. How many people have ever heard of the word or the phrase time management? Okay. We are all bound by time, and we say time management. Who's ever had a birthday? If you haven't raised your hands, why not? You have been born, right? You have a birthday, but we have, we're all bound by time, and we have this thing called time management, like we can control time. Who has ever in this earth managed time? Management says you have authority over something. Who has authority over time? Uh, nobody. In uh, Genesis 1, chapter 28, or Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Don't hear anything about time. How do you manage time? We can't manage time. But I have a God that is outside of time, that created time for us. He is not bound by time. We are. That is the God we serve. When you look at the authority of who God is, you have got to look at the creation and go, wow. But then when you look at the authority that God has over just something that seems so minuscule, time. But we're so bound by it. Everything is placated on time for us. Uh, it's time for me to eat. It's time for us to go home. Church is over. Church is not over. Don't go home. Uh, but we're so controlled by time, yet God created that for us. He is the authority. That's who God is. That's who God is to me. And that's whenever I see, uh, whenever I'm driving down the road and I see that, it just stops and it, it's an awe-inspiring. But there's something that we need, as we realize who God is, the Bible is God explaining and revealing himself to us. We have 66 books, uh, multiple authors, I forget the count, but they all point to who God is. They all say, this is who God is. But they also say something that we have to understand, and that's who Satan is. When we look at the opposite of God, and that's what Satan is, he is the antithesis of God. He is the complete opposite. Satan is a counterfeit. We hear pastors say that. Satan is a counterfeit. 
Turn to Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14. And we'll look at verses uh, 12 through 14. And if you're taking notes or if you have a pen, I've, I've done this. I've underlined all the I wills. Underline these I wills and, and, and you'll see. So uh, Isaiah, 14 chapter, uh, Isaiah 14 verses 12 through 14. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? We're talking about Satan now. How, how art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. That's who Satan is. He says that he's going to do these things. Now, I've read this book. He loses. He's already lost. He has lost, yet he says that I will ascend. Satan is a counterfeit. He is a liar. How do I know that? John chapter 8 verses, uh, John chapter 8 verse 44. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar, and the father of it. So let's look at the word liar for just a second, because we're looking at counterfeit, but let's look at the word liar, because I've told a lie before, and I'm a liar. I, I've lied. One lie makes you a liar, right? Sometimes we tell lies not to hurt somebody. Uh, when I first got married, uh, my wife would try to decorate the house with things that she thought that I would like, and she would say, hey, do you like this? Uh-huh. No. And then she would find out later on, what? You didn't like it? You said you liked it. That, what do, what do I do? Now I've hurt her and I've said a lie, right? Now when she says, do you like this? Not really. Cool. Well, we're getting it anyways because I do. Okay. That's all that matters. I will sit on the couch. I don't care. All right. But we, we look at that and like, that's just a little white lie. I'm not trying to hurt her feelings. Or, we look at a uh, a child. A child doesn't have to be taught how to lie, by the way. They know it all automatically. Um, if you haven't ever seen my son, he flies around here all the time. And he'll first, one of the first things that he'll t- say is he, he really likes Spider-Man. And we were at a uh, family reunion last year. Um, and the family reunion uh, was the Clement Parker reunion. Well, he loves Spider-Man. So he'd go walking around saying, I'm Peter Parker. And people really thought he was a Parker. They thought he was part of the Parker family, not realizing that he was just trying to say, I'm Spider-Man, because Peter Parker is Spider-Man. If you didn't know that, Peter Parker is Spider-Man. That's why it makes it funny. But he, he would go around just kidding, but he would stick to it. My son sticks to it. He sticks to that lie. But that's not what we should be doing. He's not trying to hurt anybody. But... Being called a liar is not fun, and I will tell you 100% a Christian should not be a liar. We are not to be lying. But sometimes we lie for personal gain, child's lie so they don't get in trouble, or sometimes a, a little white lie to not hurt feelings. 
But that's not what Jesus is saying here in John chapter 8. When he's calling Satan a liar, let's look at what he's saying. So the Greek word that he uses is pseudos, which means an intentional, conscious falsehood to hurt. To hurt. The devil wants to hurt you. If you did not know that, the devil wants to hurt you. But a lot of us can kind of pick up a lie. Yeah, you're lying. That's fine. Whatever. The the devil's subtle. I mean, if you if you don't believe that the devil's subtle, it says it in John or in Genesis chapter three that the devil is subtle. So much so that two individuals, the first two individuals on this earth who knew no sin, did not know what sin was, was still tricked and sinned. All right. So when we try to say it's not going to work on me, um, there are. Roughly 7 billion people on the earth now. And in the past, it's taken up to 7 billion. So if we look at that number, that's 14 billion people on this earth. Outside of Jesus Christ, perfect man, God, uh, on this earth, everybody else has lied. And when you want to know how big a billion is, if you were to count to a billion, it would take you roughly nine years. That's how big that number is. There's 14 of them. 14 billion people on earth. And that's how many people have lied. And he is so subtle about it. You know how subtle he is? He starts thinking of things like, man, I've got a list of things to do. We have so much to do. We have so many things. I'm never going to get it done. Man, I am really falling behind. I'm failing on so many things. That's a lie. That is a lie. You might have a list of things to do, and it starts, you're starting to think of a good thing. I've got things to do. It's okay to have things to do. It's okay. God wants us to do work. But when we start thinking uh, bad on his creation, we are already starting to go down a lie. What about, I just discipline my kids. God tells us to discipline our kids. We're supposed to make sure that we spare not the rod of correction. Man, will my kids ever learn? My kid is the worst. I just have awful kids. I don't know what the deal is. I don't think I've ever thought that I have awful kids, but I've also said, man, my kids, what is going on? I've taught them differently. I know I've done uh, done things. My kids are awesome. Just want to say that. Uh, my kids are great, and I love them so much, and they are learning, but it's so easy, it's so subtle when you start looking at the lies that that Satan gives you. Here's another one uh, for you teens. I didn't get an A on my test. I know I studied. Am I a failure? What did I do? Why is, what's wrong? Does anybody love me? No one's going to love me because because I'm not doing what, what I'm supposed to be doing. I know I've thought that as a kid. I remember those times when I did not meet the expectation that was set. I thought that I completely failed my kid, uh, that I failed my parents. And it, why do they love me? These are lies that, that Satan has, has really got in our, in our, in our mindsets. And the, and, the first part, that first part is, I didn't get an A on my test. And I studied. 
okay, you just didn't understand it. That's fine. Try a different sub, or try a different uh, way around it. But when we start looking at who God is, we have to understand that Satan is a liar and he is going to do whatever he can to take the focus off of God. So how do we combat that? We have to turn to who our control is. Who is our control? God is our control. God is our control. Point number three, God is our control. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Pastor hit on this a little bit uh, on Sunday, and I told him afterwards, like, so uh, did you just read all my notes? Did you? He didn't. Second Corinthians chapter 5, or chapter 10, excuse me, chapter 10, verse number 5, excuse me. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to obedience of Christ. So I look at that and go, all right, all right, God, I see what you want me to do. You want me to start casting down my evil thoughts. You want me to start casting down um, anything that exalteth, exalteth itself over you. Bring into captivity every thought to obedience of Christ. I get it. I am a very, I understand what you're saying. How? Where, what, what's the how? And uh, one great thing about God is he gives you an answer. And he gave us an answer. We go back to uh, our text verse and we look at Philippians chapter 4 verse 8. And we see a very familiar uh, passage of scripture. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Bring your thoughts into captivity. If you need something to think about, this is what you think about. But even more so, one of the great things that I love about God's Word is it's so deep, it's so rich. And I've read this verse over and over and over. And as I was preparing, asking God, what is it that you want me to the, to talk about? For whatever reason, this verse hit. I haven't, been, I haven't read this verse in a while, um, but I was just thinking, Philippians 4, 8, why, why, why? And then I look at it and I say, Wow. Uh, I haven't seen this before. I don't know why, but you'll see it when I get there. And maybe you guys have already seen this, and you're like, yeah, it's great. It's cool. But this hit me like a ton of bricks, and I thought it was awesome. All right? So let's look at some of these words. True. True. So finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true. That word true is from the Greek, aletheis, uh, speaking or loving the truth. Truthful. John chapter 21, verse 24, This is the disciple which testifieth of these things and wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. We know that his testimony is true. We know that Jesus' testimony is true. We look at the word just from the Greek word, Greek word thikios, uh, which is righteous, observing of the divine law. Acts chapter 3, verse 14, But ye didn't. But ye denied the Holy One and the just, and desired a murderer to be granted unto you. Speaking of uh, 
uh, Barabbas and, and Jesus when the uh, Jews crucified uh, Jesus over Barabbas. All right, but ye denied the Holy One and the just. If you look uh, in Acts in your Bible, you'll see that that just is a capital J talking about Jesus. And we look at righteous, observing the divine law. Pure, whatsoever things are pure. That comes from the Greek word hagnos, which is pure from every fault. Pure from every fault. 1 John 3, 3. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth, purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Even as he is pure. Lovely. This is from the Greek word pros. Uh, it's a compound word. Uh, two words, pros and philo. It's uh, prosphilus, uh, to love. John 5.20 For the Father loveth the Son and showeth him all things that himself doeth. And he will show him greater works than these that ye marvel. When I look at these descriptions, when you just look and break these words down, and there's other ones, I, I just didn't add the, the verses to it. I see Jesus. God is telling us, if you want to have control of your thoughts, think on these things. These things are Jesus. These are the attributes of Jesus Christ. God wants us to think about his son. Why does he want us to think about his son? Well, he's got 66 books on why he wants us to look at his son. But I, the first thing, immediately as I saw this, like, I know. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, I... I'm going to try my best. I struggle every single time when I look at these verses and I really just ponder. Verse uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 35 um, and 38 and 39. I'll wait. I, I want you guys to turn uh, on this one. This one. Mm. Romans chapter 8, verse 35. And uh, we'll skip down to 38 and 39. Verse 35, Romans chapter 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Skip down to verse 38. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is, in the Christ, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. If you didn't have a reason why to start looking at the lovely things of Christ and look at what Christ has for you, there's 17 points. I told you I had 24. We went through them all in uh, the Philippians and in those 17. That's 17 reasons on how God will not separate his love from you. If you can find another reason to fit in those 17, I... I welcome it, but I don't think, looking at all of those, I think that pretty much covers it. 17 reasons why Christ loves you and what Christ has done for you. How amazing and how re- relieving that is to your mind. You have God who is the creator of, of the heavens, creator of all things. You have Satan, the counterfeit, that is trying to develop that chaos, right? And now God is trying to control, control your mind. Why? Because when you start reading how much and how love, how much love God has for you, you start to see that God is your calm. God is our calm. Philippians chapter 4, verse 7, we read it. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, 
shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. God wants to control our thoughts. And when he focuses, and when we focus them on Jesus, the peace, the calm, the joy, when, whenever I just drive down and I just look at what God has done, and I think of the things that God has, the love that God has for me, it's just that, whew, wow. I, you have to stop. It, it, it can be breathtaking. And so when I look at that, the application then is we often forget, I, I forget often, I can find myself just driving. I, I do a lot of thinking while I'm driving. I don't listen to the radio. I just kind of drive. And, um, and I'll sometimes get to a certain spot. And I think, How did I get here? I know I'm not tired. I've had my two cups of coffee, my obligatory two cups of coffee before work. Uh, where did I go? But I know I wasn't thinking probably about things I should have. I was probably thinking about the day and how busy I'm going to be and tired and just not all the things that I've got to do. And then I turn that uh, turn eastbound and I go, oh, oh, there it is. All right. He reminds us in so many ways who he is, he, who he is to provide us that calm and that control. Why do you why would he do that? Why? Well, it seems kind of obvious, but let's, let's think of it through, uh, through different lenses. Think of it as someone going through a major trial or someone that is just busy, that you know is busy. I think about our pastor. He is busy. Our pastor is busy. He's got things to do. He's got a vision for our church. I look at some of our friends. I think of uh, Miss Sarah that is, and, and Brother Billy that have just gone through so much. I look at our friends, but do you want to know what I do see with them? I don't see, they're not freaking out. They're not running around here moping. They're not running around here just crying all the time, just hair on fire. No, they have, they have a peace about them. And that peace is they know who Jesus, who their Jesus is. They know who Jesus Christ is. They have the love of God that is keeping them calm. And when I think about it, who, some of you might have seen it. It's a little cartoon. I've sent it to Brother David quite a, quite a bit. It's a little dog sitting in a room. The room is on fire, and he's just sitting there. This is fine. This is fine. Which one are you? Are you the fire? Are you the chaos? Or are you the dog? Because the world is chaotic. If, as soon as we go out that door... And even right, even in this door, you could have thoughts that are just taking you away from what God wants. The world is chaotic. Our flesh is fighting against what God wants. All right? But when we have an individual that is just crazy, crazy and freaking out, you look and go, I don't know, I don't want what they've got. Sorry to be them. That's not good. But then when you start looking at those that are going through the fire, that are in the fire, and they're saying, this is fine. I'm okay. Do you know what that does? That brings others to say, what is it that, why? How can you go through what you're going through and be so calm? Well, let me tell you about Jesus Christ. And there you go. Jesus Christ is not using uh, the, the chaos 
he is using that calm. He wants that calm for your life so he can use you to reach others, to be that light, to be that salt for others. And that's the, the application that you can take it, uh, take from that is people want calm. They want the love. They want to know, uh, they want to know that there is something for them, that they have this, that calm is out there and that love is out there. And that's what Jesus has called us to be. Amongst this crazy world, he has called us to be, uh, that salt and that light and that calm. So my question to you is, which one are you going to choose? Are you going to choose the chaos, or are you going to choose the calm? Let's pray. Lord and blessed Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the the opportunity just to, to speak your word, Lord, and, and just to present the, the calm and the love that you've given us, Lord. And I just thank you so much for all the many blessings that you've given us, and that we would think on you and we would think of, uh, of the things that are true and that are honest and that are lovely and that are a good report and are pure, Lord, because that's you and we need to be focusing on you, Lord. And Lord, for those that may not know you as their personal Savior, Lord, I just pray that they would understand that they have this, that you are there for them to be that calm and to that, be that joy for them. Lord, I just pray that if they do not know you, as their personal Savior, that they would just stop fighting against you, Lord, and that they would submit themselves to you to give that peace that passeth all understanding, Lord. I just thank you for all the many blessings that you've given us in your precious and holy name. If you would stand with head, heads bowed and eyes closed, we'll have a moment of in, invitation. If you are having chaos, having trouble, are you looking at to what God wants? Are you looking at God? Are you looking at Jesus? He's created this world. He's created you. He knows what's best for you. And he's got this under control.